0: This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at Johnson at parkviewfindley.org. Iced
1: cold ice cream. I got your ice cream here. Ice cream. Who wants an ice cream? Sir, you want some ice cream? Ice cream for everybody He's got you down that way Ice cream Got your ice cream here Ice cream? ice cream ice cold ice cream I know it's not quite a healthy breakfast food but who knows maybe we're starting something new bacon eggs and ice cream oh sorry about that You're welcome. All right. Thanks.
0: You know, when I was a kid, that sound was magical. I lived on a long street, and from my backyard, I could hear the music of the ice cream truck from so far away. And no matter what I was doing, no matter where I was, I would run out to the front to look and see where the ice cream truck was. And usually I could see it way down, stopping at the houses down the street. I had a friend that lived way down there. And I think about how much time I had. Run inside, find mom. Ice cream truck is coming. She said, go get my purse. So I'd have to run and find her purse, bring it back to her. And she would get a dollar out, hand it to me. And I run back out, With my dollar. Wait for the ice cream truck to come. Slow coming. If I had enough time, I'd run next door. Ice cream truck's coming. My next door neighbor was a year older than me. We were good friends all through school. And he'd run in and get his stuff. We'd come out. And wait. Waving. Make sure the ice cream truck man saw us. Holding tight to our dollar bills so they didn't fly away. (laughs) It would be the worst to run out there all excited. And have no, no money to buy an ice cream. Have you... You remember that time when you heard that ice cream truck? How great it was on a hot summer day to be called out of what you were doing, to gather around the truck and be refreshed with a delicious frozen treat. I don't know any ice cream trucks that are selling Dietz's ice cream bars. It wasn't quite as as great an experience as this. I think if there was a Deets' ice cream truck, there would be adults outrunning the kids. <laughs> ice cream! It might be a little bit of a problem. Now, we don't have a truck. I didn't think we could get one in here. So, we have wheels and we have ice cream. We're close to the idea. Uh, but I really wanted you to to just remember this moment. Hopefully from your childhood. Maybe you lived way out and you didn't have that, that opportunity. But have you noticed how our memories are are triggered by our senses. The things that we see, the things that we hear, the things that we smell and taste, particularly, they, they bring memories to the forefront of our minds. And that, that was the purpose here today, is to have all of us remember together this moment of being, being called out together for a specific purpose. Now, we're going to be talking over the next five weeks about the church. And our, that's our sermon series. It's called Ecclesia. And what we're going to talk about is what the, what the Bible tells us about who we're supposed to be as a church, the things that we're supposed to do together as a church. And uh, we're going to look primarily in the New Testament, of Paul's writings to the church, about how they're supposed to interact together and reach out into the world. We uh, have other, other instructions, some from the words of Jesus, uh, some we draw information from the Old Testament. It's going to be a great study. I hope you'll, you'll be here to enjoy it. As we start, I want to focus primarily just on that word from the Greek that is translated in our New Testament as the church. It's uh, the word ekklesia. Now, you know me well enough to know I rarely ever will say a Greek word out loud on a Sunday morning. One, because they're really hard to say. And two, because saying a Greek word out loud really doesn't help you understand it. Usually in a sermon I'll say the original word meant something like this and paint the picture of what it means. Today, however, the word is meaningful because it is a, a combination of a, a root and a prefix. Now, if you study language, you, you know how important that is, to know root words, to understand prefixes and suffixes, uh, to, to develop your own sense of understanding. So, ekklesia comes from two words. The first is ek. It means um, out of. It's a preposition. And the second word is kaleo, which means to call. You put those words together, and kaleo is a verb. You put those words together, and you have kaleo ekalecia, and the ending changes, and it it becomes uh, a noun or adjective, depending on how you use it, as the church. Most of the time in the New Testament, it's a noun describing the gathered believers, those who have been called out, like we were with the ice cream truck. Now, I remember uh, our family... Oh, uh, was it, April of last year, maybe May, when we had been inside for a long time, <laughs> stuck, and we heard a sound like that, and we looked out, and the Kona truck was actually driving through our neighborhood, the Kona ice truck. I was like, this, I haven't seen this in years, and our boys were like, can we go? It's, it's the Kona ice truck. I'm like, yeah, let's go. So we we were called out from our, our isolation <laughs> from COVID and you know went out with masks on and got some some cone eyes and it was it was a fun experience. Maybe you remember when you were in high school and you were sitting in class and over the loudspeaker there was an announcement calling you out of class for a pepper alley or an assembly and you gladly got up and left the room to be a part of this gathering this this assembly. Didn't matter what the content was it was different than being in class it was a, a change in routine and welcomed and you gladly went to see it. We look back historically this, this idea of being called out to gather together really makes a lot of sense. You think in medieval times when a town crier would, would walk the streets, hear ye, hear ye, proclamation of the king, and you know nail a proclamation to a tree so everybody could read it. You could go back into the days of Paul, gathered in the town square in the marketplace where people were talking and raising his voice for the crowd to listen about Jesus. Lend me your ears. We think back through the Old Testament as the prophets would walk among the people of Israel. A message from the Lord, they would say. Come and hear a message from the Lord. And even in the days of Moses, he would gather the Israelites together to hear God's instructions and the messages that he had for them. In fact, I want to look back just briefly in the Old Testament to the Hebrew equivalent to this word. Uh, look in Numbers chapter 10 with me, if you will, uh, beginning verse 1 the example here lord said to moses make two trumpets of hammered silver and use them for calling the community together and for having the camps set out when both are sounded the whole community is to assemble before you at the entrance to the tent of meeting and so this word in the hebrew they translated that as the assembly when all the people of israel gathered together they called it the assembly And they gathered for different purposes. Very often they would gather to hear from Moses about what God wanted them to do. Sometimes, if the horn blasts were different, they would gather prepared for war. Uh, That was the quick way to gather all the people together. Uh, Later, this gathering of people was called the Sacred Assembly because they were gathering sometimes to celebrate God. Uh, The Jewish festivals and feasts and celebrations in honor of God, the holidays, were uh, called the Sacred Assembly. And we know that as they gathered to worship God, that gathering of people went toward the the tabernacle as they were moving toward the promised land. It was a a tent that they would set up and tear down as they traveled, the place where they went to worship God, which then became the permanent temple, uh, especially in Jerusalem. The Jewish people then worshiped the Lord in synagogue uh, also, including the temple and synagogue there together. And then in the New Testament, we see this calling out of those who had faith in Jesus Christ, who had heard, believed, and were baptized. And there was this different kind of calling, sometimes even calling them out of the synagogues to gather together to worship Jesus. Uh, this, this difference from their Jewish heritage, uh, the Gentiles were gathered together with them as those who were called out together to worship. In 1 Corinthians, we have an example of the way this word is used. Paul's writing to the, to the gathered believers in Corinth. He said this, to the church, that's the word, ecclesia. to the ecclesia of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Now this gathering is marked by a shared faith of those who belong to the Lord, those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And notice how, how Paul is writing and addressing his words to the believers gathered in a particular place, at a certain time for a specific purpose, but also including his words to other gathered believers, to all those who call on the name of the Lord, their Lord and ours. There's common ground that we share, not just as a church, but as the church, our common ground in Jesus Christ and the truth that we have in God's word about Jesus as our Christ and Lord. And so we know that as we gather together at this specific place, at this certain time, we have a certain purpose, now, I haven't been driving around the neighborhood saying, Parkview's meeting at 1045. Nope. We trust other means to do that, more effective means in today's world, I hope. <laughs> but we are the church. We are assembled together for purpose, and we've been, we've been called out. And as we talk more about the, the meaning of this word, I want to recognize two things, that we are called out from a very specific set of things, and we are called out to become another specific set of things as the church. First, let's talk about how we're called out from. One is society, The, the structure of the world around us, the hierarchy of business, the status of living among other people and trying to prove our worth, trying desperately to attain a certain status and then maintain that status in the eyes of other people. It's exhausting, that constant struggle, keeping up with other people and what they've purchased and what they wear and the things that they say and what they're doing. It's it's something that we're called out from in order to gather together as a church, something we can leave behind for just a little while as we adjust our focus and point our attention to the Lord instead of worrying about all those things. We're called out from culture, all the pressures and influences that are all around us surrounding us each and every day, we have the opportunity to step aside from the moral relativism that is so prevalent of the fluidity of what's right and wrong, to be drawn to the unchanging truth of God's Word. We have an opportunity to step away from what influencers are telling us is trending, what we should be saying what we should be doing because it's what's, what's in and what, what people do and the things that influencers have decided are no longer acceptable and we can't be a part of it. And we're allowed to step away from that as we focus instead on the truth of God's word. We step out from our occupation, the busyness of all of the responsibilities that we have. Now they're still there, but we get to put them on the back burner as we focus instead on who God is calling us to be as we gather together. Some of us step away from family. Now, many of us step away, we're called with our family to worship together, but there are others of us who are called from our family. And while we love to worship the Lord, there's also a a sadness, a loneliness of worshiping with an empty seat next to us. And as we worship, we're praying fervently for a spouse, for children, for parents sometimes who who refuse to come who who will not be a part and yet we don't give up and we continue to pray and continue inviting them to be called with us to gather together we're called away from uh, our identity the the facade the image that we want people to believe is true about us and as we're called to gather and worship the lord we're we're able to set aside all that pretense so that we can gather with authenticity so that we can be real, bringing to the Lord our our scars and our hurts and our failures so that he can help us grow beyond them, so that he can help us realize who he made us to be. We're called out from so many things. We're called out from the the sin and temptation that exists all around us. We're called out from the comfort of life. Stand up out of our recliner, and come to be together to lift up the name of the Lord. It's, it's tough sometimes. That motivation to get up in the mornings and, and to choose to be a part of the church. And we recognize that this, this calling changes us. But in many ways, it's also temporary. Now, as I say, we're, we're calling from... I'm not saying you should quit your job and abandon your family. I'm saying that you recognize that as you come together to worship the Lord, the, the worry and the stress of those responsibilities is put into perspective as you begin to understand that God is your focus. And as you practice that, it becomes more of a habit and it becomes the trend of who you are, that you are able to meet the world with, with your focus set on the Lord as you engage with society, culture, and work, and family. You're led by that focus. On Christ, meeting the demands of all those things because you've learned to put Him first. That's, what's the call, that's what it means for us to be called out from so many things to worship the Lord. We're also called to become a gathering of believers. We're called to worship, to lift the name of the Lord high, to praise Him, to bring glory to His name. And we do that through song very easily. We're we're led to sing very specific words about who God is, and how great He is, but we also proclaim His name just in the way that we talk. One, one is through the message that I get to share with you and the classes that we have on a Sunday morning. The, the other ways that we proclaim the greatness of God is through our own behavior, through our own interactions, through the words that we say and the things that we do for one another and we begin to discover that our very lives can be lived in worship of God as we surrender the, the desires and drives that we have to God, and we choose instead to follow where he's leading us and to do what he's calling us to do, we, we discover that we can live worship also. Yes, we, we lift up praises to God, but we also live those praises out in the way that we act. We're called as a church to fellowship. We discover the encouragement and growth that comes from belonging together, We find community. We find a place where people care. We find a place that feels like another home. We find this connectedness because of the common ground that we have in Christ, that we stand equally before him, forgiven, responding to his love and grace. And we recognize the common ground we have is through Christ. And it grows as we serve together and we use our gifts we use our talents to care for others as we demonstrate the love of Christ through our actions. We're also called to discipleship. And through those relationships that we have, we discover growth that goes beyond what we can accomplish through our own study. It's a growth that comes from letting people in, having access to our lives, to hold us accountable to our decisions, to lead us and guide us and give us advice, to mentor us very specifically. We have some training going on about mentoring and the growth that comes from allowing another person to know you and to point you in the direction they see God leading you through his word. We're also called to evangelism, to recognize the value of the truth of God's word, not just something that we've been entrusted with, a responsibility for us to protect and lock away and hide. We're entrusted with the truth of the love and grace of Jesus Christ, a lifeline to those who don't yet know him that we get to cast out, that God invites us to be a part of that process of bringing people to know him and salvation. We've been entrusted with that responsibility to share generously with the world. We're called to understand our purpose in him and accept the mission that he calls us to. And here at Parkview, we have a very specific mission statement that summarizes these things for us as a a group of believers. And Parkview exists to connect people to Christ, to other Christians and to the world. And that very concisely sums up the, the focus that we have first on building connections with the Lord, of helping people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, of growing in their relationship with Him as they allow the Spirit to work in them, to mold them and shape them according to His image. That we connect Christians with other people in classes and, and uh, connect groups, in studies and events. In the time that we spend together talking and eating out together and sharing life together, we grow significantly through those relationships, understanding who we were made to be much more clearly. And we also focus on connecting to the community, of carrying that message of truth, of the love that we share beyond this place, because we know how important the the word of truth is to share with those around us. So as we, we continue talking through the next five weeks, This is our focus, who we are as a church. And we're going to cover several topics. You've seen most of them scroll through in the video that played before the sermon. Uh, We'll begin today talking about how we as believers are called out to gather, to assemble, to worship the Lord. Next week, we'll talk about how we as the church are commissioned, given a very specific purpose and mission to accomplish here on this world. And we're going to talk about the great commission that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. The third week we're going to talk about how the church is equipped. That through our gathering not only do we worship God but we, we grow. We are given tools. We are taught the, the truth of his word and we are provided by the Lord. The, all of the strength and peace and love and words that we need when we go out to fulfill the roles that he has for us to accomplish in the mission that he's given us. Fourth week we'll talk about how the church is active. Not coming to know the Lord as Savior and living in that title, but living up to the responsibility and the role that we have as believers to gather together, to love one another, to reach out in the community, that we are engaging in the process, not spectating the process. The last week we're going to talk about how the church is united, how we as a group of believers together are called to focus on the strength that we have as one in Christ one lord one faith one baptism and we are one church this means that we have to work at building community together it means that we have to actively resolve conflict with one another we have to actively choose to care about one another and love one another in some difficult moments of life and that's that's how we grow that's how those relationships are built and developed not by giving up when things get tough but by stepping through that difficulty stepping through that confrontation to connect meaningfully with the people around us. So as we study the church, I want to begin today by looking into the New Testament and um, talking about three images that Paul provided through his writing to to the believers uh, about what the church should look like. These are three images that become illustrations for us, uh, deepening our understanding, giving us some tangible things to think about who we were made to be as, as a church. The first two are together in our, our passage from Ephesians chapter 2, uh, but we're going we're to move through them one at a time. So let's, let's read together Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 17. Jesus, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Build on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, let's let's back up to verse 19. All of this we're going to cover, but right now I want to just focus on 19. And as we talk about what it is for us as a church to be a family, Paul says. No longer are you foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. We become part of a family when we accept Christ as Lord and Savior. We are invited in to a place of belonging, embraced by God. And within that family, we find that belonging that we've been looking for. In Romans chapter 8, Paul described this a little bit more, beginning in verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, you are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, as part of the family of God, we're members of his household, and God says we're, we're heirs. There's, a, there's an inheritance coming. But that's not the important part. It's it's significant, yes, but the important part is that we have a place to belong. And that this image of family helps us to understand the relationships that we have as we belong. The first relationship we discover that has significant meaning to us is our relationship with God as Father. That in Him we have love and acceptance in a way that we won't find anywhere else in this world, even from our own fathers. God loves perfectly. And his presence in our lives as our Father provides us with such confidence, such peace, knowing of the unconditional love and acceptance that he has for us. It helps us to begin to trust him, to follow where he leads, to view the the, the instructions of his word appropriately, instead of seeing... Scripture as a list of rules binding us to religious experience. that They truly are instructions meant to help keep us safe from the damage and destruction of sin in our lives. To help protect us from the pain that's caused when we indulge in those sins. They're instructions meant to lead us toward a place of safety and joy and freedom. To live for Him without worrying about it. are we uh, living according to His will or not according to His will? When we follow the instructions He's given us, we find a peace knowing that they, that God intended them for our good to build us up in Him. The other relationships we learn to appreciate are relationships with siblings. Now that's a scary thought to look around you and think that's a lot of brothers and sisters to get along with. Now, I know that because I have two older sisters. We get along. We're very close now, but we haven't always been. <laughs> when we were kids, there were, some, there were some things that didn't always go so well. And most of it was because I was the youngest, and we're all two years apart, so I have two older sisters. And I, I recognized as the only boy and as the youngest that it was my job to torment them and pester them every opportunity. And so I would just irritate them. I'd hover around in places where they didn't want me, wait for them to be on the phone with a friend or a boy and do dumb things to make them mad. I'd jump out and scare them at inopportune times. I would embarrass them in front of their friends in public. It just felt like it was what I should be doing for them as a little brother. And I realized that that didn't always help things. I realized that some of the responses were really my own fault. One of the worst places for us was in the car. Maybe you've experienced this, you know, in the backseat with siblings for a long ride. It's not a good experience. My sisters did this to me. They would draw a line on the seat and say, you can't cross this line if any part of you comes across the line I'm going to chop it. that's what they said to me okay and I was a boy you know boys are a little bit more active and fidgety most of the time and uh, occasionally a, a leg would come across the line oh, oh, oh I'll bring it back chop yeah, that's not fair. you just you just came over to chop me yeah that's what you get you cross the line. So then I would sit and wait and watch this invisible line. Waiting for them to come across. And an elbow would come over and then go back. I'm like, "Oh." And they say, "No, no, no, you can't chop me." Why? Because you would have to cross the line to chop me, and then I'm going to chop whatever you send over to chop me. It's just going to just chop it back. How does that work? It just does. I found out sisters older sisters tend to act a lot more like moms than they should. And they feel like they have the right to make up rules, to be bossy, and to arbitrarily chop things. I look back on those years. I was ornery. I say was because we all know I'm not, I'm not like that anymore. I've grown up a little bit. But I want you to think about what it is to, to live together with brothers and sisters, a lot of brothers and sisters, and the joy that we have in, in growing together in the Lord and also recognizing the tension that exists between us as we grow together in the Lord. That there are times where, where we get frustrated. There are times when we have difficulty. There are times when, when there's, there's tension and, and, and arguments and, and the, our emotions get the better of us. But we always have to remember that we belong together. And that our relationships together are a reflection of God's relationship with us. And we have to choose to love. We have to choose to forgive. We have to choose to help each other grow. Recognizing that that God put us together for for a purpose. That we're family. And we grow together. Not only are we called a family, we're also also called a building. And we're going to talk a little bit about Paul's image of a building for us as believers. And we'll go back to Ephesians 2, that last section, that we uh, together are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit, where two or more gather in my name. I'm there with him. Think of the the incredible privilege that we have that's been given to us by God that as we come together, we become the place where he dwells. The the, the strength and the confidence and peace that comes from, from recognizing that. Paul expanded this thought when he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Notice the family, but also this Church together, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Now, when Paul says that the church is a building, he's not talking about the structure. What he means is that when we get together, when believers come together. When we're called out, when we assemble, our lives together knit. The structure creates this place where God dwells among us. And very specifically, this gathering becomes a foundation for truth, a pillar on which we hold the truth of Jesus Christ high. Not just honoring that truth, but holding it out for people to see. That's who we are as the church, the foundation and pillar of truth. And while that is an honor, think of what that means for us, holding up the truth of God's word to the world around us, who then begins to see the the love and grace, the, the truth about Jesus that we're holding up. And then they look at us who are holding it up. And while they're they're curious about whether or not this thing we're holding up is true, the evidence that they use to determine whether or not it's true is the pillar, is the foundation. And they're looking at our lives, trying to decide if this truth is worth. If this truth is meaningful enough for them to begin making changes in their own lives. That's a huge responsibility that we are called to live up to that people are watching us to to see if we're living up to. And we have incredible opportunities to, to demonstrate the love of God in the world around us as we hold up, as we are the pillar of that truth, the foundation for it. But think about the places in this world that we, as a church, really struggle with this idea. There's two that I'm thinking of in particular. One of the most difficult places for us, not just Parkview, for the church in the world today, to demonstrate the truth about Jesus, the love that exists there, is to the people who serve us lunch on Sunday afternoons. The waiters and waitresses, the busboys, the, the hostesses in restaurants, Do you imagine what they think of the people of God when we run out of church trying to beat the crowd? and we're impatient about the service, and we're frustrated with the order that got a little wrong, and we skimp a little on the tip because we're so dissatisfied, the message that communicates to those people who are working to serve us. That's a, that's a, that's a challenge. But it's, a, it's one small way that we can recognize that we, our lives, our words, our actions, are the evidence, the proof of the truth that we hold high. And we have a responsibility to reflect that truth accurately in the way we live. The other place that I've realized has become a real failure on our behalf is social media. And unfortunately, we have allowed our image to be destroyed digitally. The example that we are, the... The evidence that we should have of the love and grace of Jesus is almost non-existent in the conversations that you read in social media. It has been quite a while since I've even been on social media, but I have heard about the, the difficulty that we have, even having meaningful conversations and encouraging one another. The, the danger of tearing down people's ideas, tearing down their arguments, and tearing them down personally to prove a point. And I realize just how hard it is for us to truly live this purpose that we have in Christ as the church. It's a challenge that we face. I don't want to sound like I'm saying we're horrible people. I just want to, I want us to recognize together the opportunity that we have to become something different than what people expect, to become a a true reflection of the love and grace of Jesus in the world around us through, through simple, doable things that just take a little bit of effort, that take us remembering this is going to make a difference in, in another person's life if I can humble myself and choose to do this. We are building a place where God by his spirit dwells and that that is sacred and that is holy and that is that is a huge honor that we can live up to. That's the pillar and truth of his word. Now, that's two images, the the family, the building. Paul also describes the church as a body. Colossians chapter 2, beginning verse 13. It's kind of long, but please just let me read this to you. For he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, other things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and in which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, The the church is described as a body. That's That's the visual we have to think about. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks a lot about how we as individuals become parts of the body, each of us with our own role, each supporting the rest of the body, working in tandem, thinking about how we support mutually one another so that we can accomplish incredible things for the kingdom. We're going to talk about that later in the series. But I want to think very specifically about how we are called to be the body of Christ. And how Paul says, as a body of believers, Christ is the head. And we have this visual, this, this illustration of what a body is and what it does. And you think about your body. All the things that happen in you. All the involuntary things that take place. Millions a day. All of the, the very purposeful things that you choose to say and do. Well, those are all impulses moving from your brain through your nerves. Making things happen. All of it comes from the head. Your your entire body is guided, directed, instructed by those impulses coming from the head. That's the image that Paul provides to us of Christ as the head of the church, providing the impulses for each of us to act individually, but more importantly, providing the instructions for us to act together, cohesively, unified as the church productive for him and for his kingdom, accomplishing incredible things in his name. And think about the message that Paul provided for us in in this writing in Colossians about how God brings us together as a body, how he recognized that we were once his enemies in our mind because of the sin in our lives, alienated from God. And he chose to reconcile us to himself through the blood of Christ because his body was nailed to the cross. And when Christ gave up his body that was buried in a tomb and rose three days later, he made possible. He purchased the means for us to be reconciled to him, to be, to be brought back in relationship with him. And as we do, we become a part of his body. We become a body in line with him as the head, following his impulses. Responding to his guidance and to his leading. Living for him and for his glory. That's who we're called to be as the church. As we surrender to his lordship, as we allow him to lead us and to guide us, we find this incredible purpose for our lives. We find this incredible purpose together. To live for his truth. To live out his love and grace in the world around us, to to make a meaningful impact in the world around us for his sake and for his glory. And as we do that, we set aside our wants, we set aside our desires, we set aside the things that we would do for our own gain, and we focus. We allow our focus to be drawn to him as Lord. and We hold that truth up high. This morning, as you think about your place in the church, I want to provide an opportunity for you. And I want to challenge you to think about who you are in relationship to the Lord. If you've never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would recognize your need for Him, your need for forgiveness, for reconciliation, and choose Him today. If you've been a Christian for a while and you're thinking about who you are in relation to the church, I want to challenge you to think about the, the little things that you can do. The moments that you have to be the love of God in the world around you. First... Letting your interactions with other believers be the true reflection of God's love and grace so that when people look at us, they see they do believe that truth. But second, maybe more importantly, that you would choose those moments in the world around you to be a true pillar of the truth of the Word of God, to be the solid foundation that it needs so that other people can actually believe it when they see it in you. This morning, if you have a decision to make about your relationship with Jesus, if there's anything in your life that you need prayer for, I want to invite you to come forward as we stand and sing together. Please stand.